This episode is sponsored by One World Filter, or OWF. OWF is a disruptive technology that will enable access to clean drinking water for household, commercial, humanitarian, disaster relief, governmental, and municipal applications. OWF covers the complete spectrum of threats to humans. It intercepts all bacteria, viruses, parasites, metals, sediment, microplastics, pesticides, herbicides, pharmaceuticals, growth hormones, man-made chemicals, and COVID-19. OWF produces both the safest and lowest-cost drinking water on the planet. To learn more, visit OneWorldFilter.com. On this episode, we have Nikki Suhu. Nikki began acting in high school, adding to her passions of dance and sports. She has appeared in Stick It, Bring It On, Pretty Little Liars, the 2018 reboot of Heathers, and several other film and television projects. She earned a bachelor's degree from UCLA and an MBA from Chapman University. She's a firm believer in mentoring and uses her nonprofit platforms to form meaningful connections with people. Nikki, thank you so much for being on our show. Ah, oh, thank you so much for having me. That's really great. So you are a native Southern Californian. You were born here in LA. I was born, yes, in Orange County. Grew up uh, over by Buena Park, kind of where Knott's Berry Farm is. Yeah, absolutely. And then when I went to college, I moved to LA. Got you. And um, your family origin is Chinese? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I am third slash fourth generation. So my grandparents were born here. Got you. Wow, quite some time. Have you uh, visited or traced your lineage to uh, a certain province? Yeah, we actually had gone on like a family trip to go to our village. Of course, we don't really know anybody um, in the village, but it was cool to see kind of where our ancestors had had lived at at one point. Yeah, well, you had a very close relationship to your grandmother. Um, I do. She's still alive. She's still here, actually. Oh, my God. She must be over 100. No, she's 98. She turns 99 this year in November. Wow. That's incredible. Um, You come from a very good gene pool. At least on her side. (laughs) Ah, Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I'm guessing on the other side, uh, those grandparents aren't with you anymore? Yeah, I don't have any other living grandparents. I never met either my grandfathers and my other grandmother passed away when I was eight. Gotcha. And so this is your maternal grandmother who's 98? Uh, my paternal. Paternal, my, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Well, you, in, uh, in this book, Miso for Life, you had a story called Framed by a Picture Bride uh, yep. about your grandmother. Share with us a little bit about that. So my grandmother on my father's side was actually born here in um, San Francisco area or somewhere kind of up north. But when she was two, she was shipped with her mother and her other siblings to China to be raised. So uh, she never actually learned English, obviously, while she was here. She was still too little. And um, they thought it would be better to raise them in China. And so she basically grew up as a Chinese girl, but her father stayed in America. So he was making money here. And he eventually, like when she turned 18, he had found her a husband here in America and then shipped her back, like literally on a ship um, to America to marry this man that she had never met, um, but he picked her. Yeah. And 
my grandmother and I, back when she was um, a little bit more mentally, you know, there and and capable of speaking more English, because when she got older and she got more, like her Alzheimer's kicked in, she lost a lot of her um, English. So now we can't communicate as well. But um, I used to ask her what love meant to her, you know, and and it it was such a different story because I grew up here where we watched Disney movies and there was a Prince Charming and he came and he saved you and you had the ability to choose. And, you know, like that's what love was all about was finding this person that is your knight in shining armor, you know? Um, But for her, she never had a choice. And I always wondered how she felt about it. And I had asked her um, and I really appreciated her response, which was basically she said, like, my father gave me this man as a gift and he knew kind of like what was best for me. And I saw it like as the start to my life. Wow. Which is so interesting compared to American way of, of even seeing marriage. A lot of times people see it as the end of their life. You know, they're like, now I'm locked down. I can't do anything anymore. I'm like, man, this is like the start of so many people's life when they have such a different perspective on it. Yeah. Wow. What a great share. Thanks for uh, telling us about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, I imagine you were attracted to the arts and did a lot of theater. I didn't actually. Okay. Um, so I grew up a dancer. I had danced since I was a baby, like in mommy and me classes, all the way through high school. I went to an arts high school okay. where I did commercial dance, and wow. then I did dance as well in college at UCLA. Um, I think dance has always been kind of this ongoing passion or like fuel of life because I never necessarily wanted to be a dancer or be a choreographer or own a dance studio or dance professionally. Like it just wasn't something I ever aspired to do, but dancing was just this outlet for me that allowed me to feel free and to be in my zone and to like express. Um, And it still is to this day, you know, the same thing to me. I don't want to do it professionally. I don't want to compete in it. I just want to do it because it's fun. And my parents had a very open-minded philosophy to putting their kids through a lot of different um, experiences and then seeing whatever they liked, essentially. So I tried every sport, you know, from golf to tennis to soccer to basketball to softball to you know I tried it all and um yeah they just kind of let me do whichever one I really liked doing (laughs) yeah yeah well you're also skilled in martial arts yes I didn't actually start that till I got older though and I actually did it in particular for film and tv so recognizing that you know I'm Asian and that was kind of the content that was where Asians were falling in entertainment is like, oh, well, you're either going to be a manicurist, you know, a doctor or, you know, or some badass, cool, cool cat. And uh, it's a good thing you prepped for badass, cool cat. Yeah. Well, also, I, you know, I only look so old. And so I'm like, I don't know (laughs) anyone would pull off me being a doctor. I actually played a role on The Resident, which is a a medical show right. and I started as an intern which means you had already like gone through med school you know and gotten mm-hmm. and then like a couple episodes later I was I was a, 
a med student. And I was like, wait, did I just de-age in this series and nobody <laughs> noticed? I don't know what happened, but okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that was a part of your reel. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, tell us about the decision to go to UCLA. So interestingly, my mom is a was a professor at Chapman University, and mm -hmm. it is almost a feeder school from my arts high school, which is in Santa Ana, to yeah. Chapman, which is in Orange. Like a lot of kids go there. I grew up going, you know, being on campus, and I pretty much thought that this is this is where I'm going to go. I mean, it makes sense. It's completely free because my mom works there. I should totally do this. It's I know everything. I know everyone it will be an easy transition into college. And I was like, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll just apply to USC and UCLA just for fun. My brother <laughs> went to USC and he's 10 years older than me. So um, I was like, I'll just do that. My mom had gone to UCLA. So I was like, yeah, I'll just apply to those two. But at the end of the day, I know I'm gonna get into Chapman. So um, I, I'll be, you know, like I know I have my plan. And I ended up getting into UCLA and my mom, uh, kind of was talking to me about like what I wanted my college experience to be. And she helped me realize that college could be a place for me to explore mm. and not feel as safe, but in a very safe way, you know, yeah. it's kind of like traveling abroad with your school, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like with a, um, with like a, what do you call it? Lots uh, of chaperones. Right. Or like I did a medication in India and I'm like, that's the best way to travel and see India. It's like you're going on a medical mission, you have your organization, your humanitarian uh, yeah. organization, they make sure that you're taken care of, you know, right. but you still get to go and experience the world. Huh. Um, so you did that? You took a I did. A, wow. Okay. Yeah, that was actually a very eye-opening experience for me. Oh, I bet. Okay, so um short segue like uh or, or, or uh, um digression um when did you do that i think i want to say like 2014 ish all right so you had already graduated from ucla i had graduated from ucla i'm pretty and you sure already had your mba from yeah i think i already had my mba as well and yeah i would say maybe it was actually pretty close to that time like i was probably 25 ish okay. Um, so what, uh, what sparked the interest in taking that trip? Well, I love traveling. And um, one of my friends was a part of this humanitarian organization. And they would go to Africa. But then they were about to do one in India. And he was like, hey, you know, you should come. Like, I know you love doing this kind of work. Um, like, you know, this would be a great way to, to see India in a, in a very safe way. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm down, you know, it was a 21 day trip. Wow. We were staying in hotels that didn't, you know, didn't have air conditioning, didn't have toilet seats. Like, you know, it was, it was it wasn't a resort. Right. It was close to the village. One of the biggest takeaways that I got actually from that trip though, was seeing how you don't need very much to be happy mm. because everybody that we visited in the villages i felt were happier than many people that i see here in america yeah. who are slaving away working so hard to make this money to have these things and this lifestyle that they think is going to make them happy but really they never 
ended the loop to get to the happiness part. They just cycled back around into the stress to try and make more to, you know, get to this other place. Yet these people that seemingly had a lot less material wise than I did, um, seemed like very happy people. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating paradox. And I'm so glad you highlighted that. I'm so glad you shared that. And um, I know that um, giving back and being uh, involved with nonprofits is a big theme of your uh, how you spend your time. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into more of those. But I want to come back to UCLA, because the the theme was kind of exploring and, and pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, but knowing that it was a safe way to do it. Exactly. And actually, the funny thing connecting India and my major is, you know, I went to UCLA for world arts and cultures with an emphasis in dance. And I graduated and was like, when will I ever use this in my life? (laughs) And, you know, when I got to India, not having thought about it, like not having made the connection before, we went into the villages. And I can't speak the language of these people, you know, and, um, I wanted to build connection though. And I saw some of them dancing Mm. and I thought, I've learned this. (laughs) I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, make some friends. I'm going to go dance with them. And there I was like in the village dancing with them. And, you know, they were teaching me their moves and eventually like they dressed me in a sari. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing. Like this is my major coming into fruition, like everything that I was taught to do is building community off of nonverbal communication. Oh, so well done. That's so great. Now, when did uh, you first have the uh, impulse to act? So I was actually in high school still. Okay. And to be honest, it really wasn't a thing that I had ever thought about prior to that. But somebody honestly like the actual story somebody had found me at the grove and Mm. was like hey you should put that kid into acting like i think she'd be really good at it the acting class that i ended up being in he the teacher also happened to be a manager and he was like oh this kid is good let me rep her got me my agents and it all went rolling well and your parents were encouraging you to try different things so in high school you started taking on roles and then, then that just lasted through college and, yep. and so forth. Um, the decision to get your MBA, was that, um, tell us about that. Was that just a chance to study at Chapman? It feels like there's more to that. There is. So coming out of college, like, actually, let's take it back to high school. So in high school, I had, I had made Stick It, which was, you know, a big Disney movie, like in the theaters. Um, with Jeff Bridges and so many people were like mind you I was a junior at the time so I was prepping to go to college and so many people were like oh like don't don't get bogged down in college like you're already on a roll you need to like take this momentum but college meant a lot to me and my mother I mean she was a professor there's no way she was not gonna let me go to college Uh, Um, what does she teach out of curiosity education. Okay, nice. I knew for sure I was going to be going to college. And actually at that time too, in high school, I also assumed I'd eventually get my master's. I just didn't know in what or why. I just figured that was kind of the path. Like my Mm. mom obviously has a PhD, so I should at least get my master's. My brother has his master's. So, you know, I was just like following the path. Then once I graduate college, everybody was basically like, 
okay, well, now you're done with college. Now do whatever you want. Actually, now you might as well put 110% into acting because you finished college and that's all we really cared that you did. And I put in 110% doing everything that I thought I needed to do to be successful in this business. And I was tying success to booking high paying jobs. Okay. Um, but as it turns out, I started to realize and recognize that A plus B does not equal C mm. in entertainment, especially as an actor. Yeah. And you could be the best actor, you could be the most trained, you could be the most prepared. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the job. Mm. Hard work doesn't necessarily mean you get the job. Yeah. There's so many other factors that are involved. And I think being in school while acting always made me feel like I was progressing because when I worked hard, I did get paid out for that. I always got good grades. I moved to the next grade, you know, like I got the next level. Right. There was some type of reward for me trying my hardest. There's a direct but correlation. Exactly. But in acting, it wasn't that way. Mm -hmm. I tried my hardest and I was quote unquote failing to my standard. Mm -hmm. And it, was sending me on an emotional roller coaster. Like for somebody who has always been pretty good at anything that I've tried to do, it was it was like a big ego hit for me. For sure, very jarring. Like spiraled me out more because yeah, of confidence is such a big part of being an actor. So every time I didn't get the job or didn't get the role, I took it so personally right. and then it would hurt my ego and my confidence. And then the next one I tried for, I was coming into it with this place of defeatedness. Yes, and then yeah. it just was a cycle of almost self-sabotage. Self yes. And so, you know, at that point I was like, you know what, let me go back to what I know provides me mental and emotional stability, which is school. Nice. <laughs> it wasn't something that I necessarily felt I needed. But I, I did know that like, I, I knew it'd be good for my mental health, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I went through all of college and didn't do one internship mm. because I, you know, I shot The Lovely Bones while I was in college. I shot Bring It On while I was in college, which meant that I was taking quarters off of school in order to like order go to film, film these movies. Yeah. And my focus, I, for some reason, I was really set on graduating in four years. So then I would push myself really hard all the other quarters to do extra units just so I could graduate on time. My dad owns his own business. Oh, so if okay. I got an MBA, I could run his company if yeah. I did not want to act. If I wanted to act, um, learning the skills of business are just always going to be useful because acting is a, the business of selling yourself. Yeah, absolutely. What line of business is your dad's company in? Graphic design. Oh, nice. Okay. So he does a lot of work for Honda and Epson, and they do a yeah. lot of the marketing materials, stuff like that. Great. Wow, fantastic. Have you found you uh, use your business skill set in acting? I find that I use my business skills all the time. Things as simple as understanding networking. No, that's great. That's an important backdrop and background to have. Um, you know, a lot of the roles you've had have relied on a fair amount of athleticism. Uh, are those the roles you prefer to have? I do really like being athletic. I mean, mm. I think I grew up, obviously, yeah. being very physical and expressing myself in physical ways. And I think that that also is another kind of 
asset that I have that not necessarily every other actor has, right? Is like this capability to be athletic and it's way more fun, you know, like sure. getting to, to be in Heather's and do a kick-ass fight scene. I'm like, this is like my dream right now that I appeared as this cute, sweet, innocent girl, you know, who then goes off and beats up this guy. I'm like, yes, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we got to get you a franchise like uh, the female James Bond or something like that. <laughs> I like so kind right of being it. an incognito. Like you wouldn't know that I <laughs> am strong, but I am. Exactly. Oh, that's a perfect role for you. Well done. Well, and speaking about your episodic work, you mentioned Heather's. Um, do you have a preference between um, uh, film versus episodic work? And Yes. So my ultimate goal in entertainment is to be a series regular on a primetime TV show for multiple years nice. because so far my experience has, uh, you know, I've been so blessed to be able to be guest stars, to be reoccurring stars, to be co-stars, to be the leads in movies, you know, to do voiceover work, to do commercial work, to be print model, to be on a billboard. Like I've gotten all these beautiful opportunities, but the one thing that I haven't gotten to do that I've always wanted to do is be on a TV show that goes longer than one season. Thank you for sharing that. I was gonna ask you, what is a dream role for you? And you've just shared it, so that's appreciated. Also, I would say being a series regular in an animated TV show. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I do voiceover yeah. and it is so much fun. <laughs> Tell I us would, what's fun about it. Well, first of all, I think that it's just a lot more relaxed in terms of the energy of working mm. because I have really disconnected from it being me necessarily. So when I don't get the role, I don't take it as personally. The work is just so fun. Like watching amazing voice actors is so interesting to me. It is like almost more spectacular than mm. watching great actors to me. I remember I did this Nickelodeon pilot and there was this lady who was a middle-aged African-American woman and she was playing a 10-year-old white scrawny boy. Wow. But when you close your eyes or you just don't look at her yeah. and you listen to her do her the voice, I'm like, this is phenomenal. Like you can't do that as an actor. You can only like merge up or merge down or merge out like a certain amount, right. but you can't change your race, your, yeah. your, you know, your age and your, like you can't do it in that way. Um, and I just, I've watched people getting to work on Star Wars Resistance. You know, I was, I was working with some of the best voiceover artists there in, there is in the world. And to watch them be like, could you just um like do one of the monsters or whatever, you know, and they just in an instant come up with this entire language. And I was like, how do they do that? Plus the work happens in a really condensed way. So yeah. there's hair, yeah, there's no makeup, you know, there's, there's not really that much rehearsal and maybe the longest session is four hours at most, right. you know, and that was your whole days of work. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, this is a great work and I very much value family and, and uh, community 
relationships. Um, so being able to spend time with my family, something that's very important to me. Amazing. That's it's a important prioritization that, uh, that you have. And so thanks for articulating it. Um, it's a good segue into uh, another uh, story that you wrote called uh, Playing the Character of Me. I think I still am struggling with finding my true authentic self. Mm. If you are around non-dreamers, like people that that prefer stability and the social like societal norm way then it is very hard to be outside of that yeah. and to dream differently is this what i want mm. or is this what i've been told i want i had to reframe what stability meant to me nice. because yes i do not get paid every you know every two weeks but take this crisis for example right. you know many people spent years in the jobs that they believed would bring them stability yeah. and come this crisis they lost it all yeah. right. and yeah. i can only imagine having spent the last 10 years of my life doing something i didn't love to do for eight or more hours of my day just because i thought it would bring me stability for the rest of my life just to find out that today it didn't yeah no, it's uh, so well said. You're absolutely right. No, I agree with you on that. And I'm really thankful to you about uh, how you described repositioning your relationship with stability. Um, that that's, makes a lot of sense. Um, you spend a fair amount of time as a, a life coach. I'm on the board of this nonprofit called Awaken Art. When I joined, it was super grassroots. Um, <laughs> we're recruiting like literally on the street, looking for mentors, like looking for wow. people who are just willing to volunteer, but we teach art to at-risk youth and, uh, we teach them art as like a tool for healing and an outlet of positive expression. Great. So instead of, uh, harming themselves or others, they, uh, they, or like things like graffiti, you know, stuff like yeah. that. We teach them to use those artistic abilities and and then put them into something a little bit more productive or less harmful which is to to heal and address trauma that they've experienced in the past it is a life-changing experience to be able to meet people and connect with them who are younger than you but have experienced things you've never experienced yeah. in your world That's well and it really put like gave me a really good perspective on life for me to be grateful for in a platform for me to inspire them. That's so beautiful, Nikki. So well said. I mean, it's like taking that uh, a responsibility for it, which you really don't have to. Um, but there's so much good you can do because people do will listen to you. Um, so uh, I'm just uh, I'm really impressed that uh, you use it in such a, and channel it in such a positive way. Um, share with us about tag. So TAG was a project that actually came out of, um, out of business school. Opportunity will, will come. And if you are open to it, when it comes, uh, beautiful things can happen. Yeah. And so I had this idea because I used to wear bracelets on my, on my wrist all the time. And I'd wear lots of them and they were pure Vita bracelets. And it always started a lot of conversations with random <laughs> right. people That's a lot so of times they would end up asking where i got them because they wanted one and i had so many on my wrist i would just take one off and give it to them oh lovely 
And I thought, I like, I would think about those interactions. They were some of the best parts of my day yeah. was being able to share this small gift. And I recognized that, Hey, you know, maybe cause I did something nice for them. Mm. They, they're probably going to do something nice for someone else later that day. This one time I was in the car driving on Hollywood and Highland and you can be like stopped window to window, basically yeah. both, there's traffic on both sides. And one day I was there and, um, this guy rolled down his window and we were stopped and he goes, Hey, add this to your collection. And he threw me a bracelet <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, who is this person? I would totally want to be friends with you because I would totally do that. And of course we drove away. I didn't ever meet him, didn't know his name. I just remembered his face and the fact that he just threw me this random bracelet was like one of those rubber band bracelets and it had a band name on it. And I was like, okay, let me search online. Like I'm gonna go on Google. I'm gonna look for the band name, see if I can match that face to this human <laughs> And I, I went on Instagram, I went on Facebook, I could not find this person. And I was like, man, you know, wouldn't it be nice to, to be able to keep in contact with the people that I give my bracelets to? Mm. Like a lot of them, I never necessarily even learned their name, yeah. but like, it would be cool to see if they gave it away or if, yeah. you know, like if it moved anywhere, like if it went to somebody else or where they are, who they are. Yeah. And so I developed tag, which was, nice. um, almost like new age friendship bracelets yeah. that had engraved unique hashtags on the back. So you could use it on Instagram, basically, as long as you tagged a picture using this like random assortment of numbers and letters, then it would catalog anyone who had had that bracelet. That's so great. I was very adamant about it being made a very particular way. And I wanted it to have the same string and be tied the same way as the bracelets that I was wearing before. Certainly. I went on Alibaba and I had like gotten manufacturers from China, from India to like make me these samples. And none of them were the way that I wanted it to be. It was not good enough. And one of my friends gave me the, the idea to go to Venice Boardwalk and look for a different style. So I go to Venice Boardwalk and then something caught my eye and it was this very adorable little kid who was running out in the street of the of the boardwalk and he ran back to his mother who happened to have a towel laid out on the floor with like 20 bracelets on it and they were tied the exact way I wanted it with the exact oh thing God. that I wanted. Make and I was like, oh my god would you make these for me um and she was like oh yeah well i mean i don't really like live here i'm trying to make my way to um mexico city and i was wow. like well that's fine mexico city is closer than china so this yeah. is gonna be great <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i was like so just give me your address and i'll i'll ship these things to you and she goes oh i don't have an address and I was like, okay, well, let me at least like, um, let me like, let me come back. Let me have you make me a sample. And I was like, like, give me your cell phone. She was like, oh, I don't have a cell phone. Oh, wow. um, but you can call this payphone. I'll be here. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh my and, goodness. Wow. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to be, I'll come, come right back. And so I just like came back and I paid her to make me some samples. They were exactly the way I wanted them to be. Um, give me your bank account number. I'll just transfer you money. She goes, I don't have a bank account. And I was like, okay, just make a bank account and I'm going to transfer you money. 
and she ended up doing it. We transferred her money. She made me the bracelets. She sent them back. It was amazing. And I was like, thank you universe for blessing me with this beautiful woman who made my dream come true. Well, and now she got a home. She has her own little store. She was hiring out like extra people to help her because I needed them by a very specific time. And oh I was my like, God. See, this is what capitalism should be about. Yes. <laughs> So true. That's such an inspiring story. Nikki, this has been such a treat. Uh, yeah, I really thank enjoyed you so this. much for having me. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.